Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Crabby Christian, a Misfit Media Network production. I am your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Shanti, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. I am so excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited. I've read one of your books forever ago. So (laughs) when my husband and I got engaged, my dad gave us, it's literally behind you, for women only and for men only. (laughs) And we read them and they're so good and challenging. I mean, I would recommend it to new couples and people that have been together forever. Oh, you're so sweet. So good. And so when I got the opportunity to interview you, I love getting to interview people who have had an impact on my life just as a consumer, right? Like yeah, that's so sweet Reading of you. people's books. So tell us just a little bit about your ministry and what you and your husband do together. So our background is a bit unusual because, you know, we're sitting here talking about like relationship kind of stuff, you know, marriage yeah, yeah. kind of stuff. And most people who sit in that seat are like therapists Mm. or counselors or pastors or whatever. And that is so not us. We actually have this major right-hand turn where we both have graduate degrees that are very analytical. Okay. And like, like I worked on Wall Street. Okay. That was my background and didn't have any idea that there was going to be this right-hand turn. And it's a sort of a long story of how we got here, but basically for the last 20 years have been doing social research and trying to basically, I guess the easiest way of saying it is to use that analytical experience to try to uncover, like investigate, dig out those little things that like really matter in relationships, like Something that, for example, you talked about for women only about understanding men, like that's yeah. the study and understanding men. Like, what is it that we as women tend not to get that's affecting us every day in our relationships? So it's that kind of stuff. And so it's basically just whatever is holding people back that a little new knowledge we can help ourselves. Because you are believers. Yes. But they they are not purely theological books, which I think is part of why I loved it so much. Yes. Well, I would say, okay, so it's it's interesting. I think to some degree we in the church, we can make a sort of a false distinction between is it theological or is it practical? Like that's kind of where I was going. Like they all work together. It does. Yeah. But no, they're not theological in the sense of you're not going to find a whole lot of scripture. Like There's a little bit, yeah, but because we're coming at it from a Christian perspective. Right. Absolutely. I'm saying that from a place that I think that's why I loved it. And it made sense to me is I have a research brain and I love researching theology, but God also gave us this really big world and really complex, interesting brains and personalities. And I think that all of that stuff works in tandem. And when we divorce ourselves from the scientific or the cultural or the research, I think the only people that hurts is ourselves. I know. Well, 
the thing that I have loved, I will just say this out loud, for me as a social scientist, but also a follower of Jesus, I love that every single one of these studies, that all the answers, they back up what the Bible has said all along. Yeah. And it's just, it's so cool yeah. to see that because truth is truth. It doesn't necessarily, there doesn't need to be chapter and verse about X, Y, Z, but it's definitely related. Right. That. And the thing that people always ask, and I'm, I'm guessing that you're audience is probably wondering right now too is did we only do the research with Christians and no it's that's the key is it's all nationally representative across all religious backgrounds racial backgrounds age geography socioeconomics all that yeah but again I just feel like that's how it was meant to work together and so I love watching people do that and learning from them your newest book just for the record, if you go to your website, which is just shanti.com and go to books, you have written so many books. (laughs) I was a little stunned. It's amazing. But your most recent one is Secrets of Sex and Marriage, Eight Surprises That Make All the Difference. Tell me about it. So I am so excited about this. And at the same time, I cannot believe I wrote a book about this topic. (laughs) (laughs) Because this is one of those, okay, Lord, I know that we're being called to do this, but oi. (laughs) Because basically, like just backing up, you know, we've done 20 years of research. We've done 12 of these big nationally representative studies and We've interviewed and surveyed, I think we're at more than 40,000 men and women over the years and teenagers and whatever. And one of the things that has been a consistent topic, obviously, in anything that has anything to do with romantic relationships is people's sexual relationship. I mean, like that, it's like money, right? Sex and money are just two of the big issues that are always present Yeah, in some way or another. and. We had finished the money one. <laughs> we did our last study was for a book called Thriving in Love and Money. Yeah. And it's kind of a similar thing where we weren't studying the technical stuff, like how do you have a great budget? Yeah. We were talking about how do you have a great relationship around this topic? Yeah. The same thing. There was the need to dig out this stuff about our intimate relationship and realize what we found is it's not about like <laughs> technique. Right. (laughs) It's not about the technical stuff. It's about all this other stuff that's running under the surface that we're not aware of that's getting in the way or causing heartaches, or maybe you have a good relationship in this area and you just want to make it better. That's what we were trying to uncover. Well, and I think this stuff has to come first. Yeah. I think that there are a lot of people who probably do need some technique help. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) And I think there are there are really great places to find there. Right. Go look at a sex manual. That's not us. Right. Exactly. (laughs) I love Naked Marriage. I love Dave and Ashley Willis. They do great work with that. But I need sometimes we just need to understand our brains and our relationships and how we work together so that I can do the technique. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. We the way we put it on both of these topics on sex and money. By the way, it's kind of equivalent is that often when we're trying to fix a problem, like let's just say somebody, like a really common thing probably for a bunch of your listeners is 
that somebody is dealing with anxiety or depression. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have a fairly large number of people today who are on, for example, a depression medication. That is well, yeah, that's well known to reduce libido in some places, right? right? right. To have an impact on pleasure, to have an impact on desire, to whatever. Like there's yeah. all these medical impact. And we often go straight to the, okay, what do I need to solve? Which is not a bad thing. Like those things do need to be addressed. But what we found in both of these topics is that often that's a step two. And there's a step one that has to come first, which is to be able to like talk about it and be able to understand what are some of these other things that are going on inside me or inside my spouse that I'm not aware of, misunderstandings, myths that I'm believing, because I can get the technical help with that depression medication. Right. But if I haven't addressed with some of the other things that are running under the surface that are still there, I can solve that, but that other stuff is still there. Right. And so it's really just a matter of giving people, okay, this isn't going to help you know what to do about specialized thing one, two, and three. Yeah. It'll, it'll help you hopefully with all the stuff that comes before it. Right. Yeah. It's a step one. So you mentioned myths. Yes. Kind of myths about sex and sexuality and relationships. Let's talk about a few of those. (laughs) One of my favorite topics. Yeah. Like just some (laughs) generally, like the general consensus is agreeing with this and y'all are kind of coming in and saying, oh, yeah. Okay. I'll give you one of my, my biggest surprises. Okay. Because, and let me explain before I get started. That when I'm going to say we a lot, and you're going to be like, who's we? So <laughs> <laughs> we is the co-author on the book that we enlisted, who is a nationally renowned sex therapist named Dr. Michael Seitzma. And he's been one of our longtime advisors on a bunch of other research that we've done over the years. And we basically, we really couldn't risk tackling this topic in the way that we needed to without somebody like him because on this topic this is vulnerable like you can do damage yeah if you're a little bit inaccurate yeah so when i talk about we <laughs> that's that was the three year research study with michael seitzma and with my husband by the way all three of us worked on it together and so what i'm that's when i'm sharing this i'm sharing this based on this three year research study and his 35 years of clinical experience right Anyway, okay, (laughs) so the myths, this was one of the ones that to me was the most, as an average wife, average, you know, I'm an analyst, I'm a researcher, but I'm not a therapist, right? Right. An average spouse was one of the biggest aha moments that I can see impacting probably the most marriages. Uh Basically, the, the myth that we all have in our heads that we don't know that we have in our heads is we think there is basically one way that sex kind of works. And you see it, it's kind of the Hollywood myth. And it's basically this concept because this is all we see, right? It's like, it's not like you compare notes with your best friends or like, how does it work for you? Right? Like, this is all you know, it's what you see on a movie or TV show or whatever. And in that media portrayal of it, it's usually that the guy and girl look at each other and there's this surge of desire Mm -hmm. 
and they pretty soon the clothes are off and they're in bed. Yeah. And it's kind of like there's a feeling of desire and they do something about it. And if it doesn't work that way in your marriage, there's this feeling like, like for, let's just say the person who maybe is the higher desire spouse, for that person to think, you know, there's something wrong with my spouse. Like, don't you want me? Right? Like, am I not desirable? There's all this stuff you tell yourself. And the person who's maybe the lower desire spouse, that person is looking at that Hollywood portrayal and thinking, I'm, I'm broken. Right. What's wrong with me? Right. Like, so the spouse thinks my spouse is broken and you may think you're broken. Yeah. And the reality is, and this was such a huge, like life giving thing that we found on the survey is that there's not one type of desire. There's actually two types of desire primary. There are a few others, but these are the two big sort of primary ones that are the vast majority of marriages. And that Hollywood idea where you feel desire and you do something about it, that you could call initiating desire. You think about sex, you feel a surge of desire, and you (laughs) want to do something about it, right? Yeah. But it turns out there's another type of desire called receptive desire. And receptive desire is actually one of the things that's most fascinating about it is that literally desire physiologically is felt in the reverse order, where literally you don't actually often, not all the time, but often you don't actually feel that surge of desire at the beginning. Uh-huh. And instead, you decide to get engaged with your spouse because, you know, you know, you want to and it'll be good, you know, right. as you get along and whatever. But you're not feeling that surge of desire. You're, it's a decision. And then as you start the sort of sexual play, so to speak, yeah, then that person starts feeling aroused. And if that's like a positive thing, like if this is, you know, something they want to do, then They feel that sense of desire and it could come five to 10 minutes later and they're feeling five to 10 minutes in sometimes the same surge of desire that the other person felt from the very beginning. That is so life-giving because it's like, wait, I'm not broken. You're not wrong. It's just different. There is nothing deficient. It's different. Dang. And that is such a huge shift for so many people in so many couples. Yeah. Because it is easy subconsciously when you're telling yourself that maybe I'm not desirable enough or maybe there's something wrong with me. You start telling yourself all sorts of stories and then it's like my spouse doesn't care about me and you know like all this stuff that's not true. It's literally You're created just a bit differently. And there's all sorts of things you can do once you know that. That's what, okay. That was going to be my next question. I was like, okay, this is mind blowing. What do we do with it? Right. Because (laughs) I've shared a little bit publicly about I am the higher drive in my relationship. And just so we have a lot of, we have conversations about being the woman with the higher drive, which is this whole like, throws all these gender norms out of whack, right? But if we're different, if we're, you know, if one of us isn't wrong or right, we're just different. I think what you see a lot is one or the other trying to change. 
Yes. And you don't have to change. Not only do you not have to, can you? Like, can you change the way you're hardwired to desire? No. Let me be clear. You can't just go, I want to have a different type of desire and sort of force that. Yeah. That's not realistic. There have been actually quite a few medical studies on like, maybe not the type of desire, but the level of desire. Like, you know, the stereotypical husband who's like, how can I get my wife to right more? You know, maybe there's a pill, right? <laughs> right. And there's been tons of medical studies and none of them have really revealed anything that you can change. I mean, yeah. there's a few things you can do here and there and we can talk about that. There are a few like pieces of the puzzle that are worth considering, but not much. And so the benefit of that is like, oh, well, if it's just that we're created differently, how do we work with that? Right. So that we connect the way that we want to without those hurt feelings. Right. Because it it can result in hurt feelings. And then the hurt feelings turn into space between the two of you. Yep. And one of you gets resentful and is like, well, I'm not initiating anymore because I'm tired of initiating all the time. Exactly. And you just get stuck in this crazy loop. Yep. And what a beautiful way to stop the loop by saying, what if neither of you are wrong? You're just <laughs> hardwired different. So I would encourage you <laughs> personally, since you just told us about you and your spouse, go look at page 111 of the book. Okay. See a very cool graph that will encourage you that tells you that you're the higher desire as the wife, right? You and 24% of women. Yeah. That is one out of every four women. That is a huge number. So much more than people think. <laughs> well, we now know it for real because this is a nationally representative study that we paid $120,000. <laughs> like, you got data in your corner now, sister. <laughs> I can tell you pretty confidently it's one out of every four women. Yeah. Okay, so what do you do? Right. Okay, okay. and I want to maybe try to talk to both sides of it, the higher desire and the lower, the two different types of desire. Yeah. So let's talk about the types of desire first, because let's, those are two different things, types of desire and level of desire. Okay. Because you can have initiating desire and be the lower desire spouse. Oh yeah. You can have that, but just not it's just the level of desire is lower. So you just don't initiate as often. Right. Right. You, so there's all sorts of different ways this plays out. So let's talk about the type first. Yeah. And what that kind of means practically. So the, the first thing to realize is you have to, as we were just saying, you have to confront this, the myth and make sure that you've debunked it in your own mind. So you're not putting that on yourself or your spouse anymore. So take a guess. I'm just going to ask you, take a guess. I always love asking this question because it took us a long time to get this data. What percentage of marriages have the Hollywood version where both the husband and the wife have initiating desire? And so they both have the feeling and they pursue it. So it's what you it's what you see on on television that you think is 100 percent of couples. What do you think the actual percentage is? 10 percent. 
you're right. It's actually 10%. (laughs) Very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that. So 90%. So this is the first thing you have to do is tell yourself 90% of other couples of couples have a different pattern. So if you have something other than initiating, initiating (laughs) desire, then actually you're in the vast majority. You're not weird. Yeah. And so like you can relax and give yourself and your spouse a bit of a break and go, okay, what does this mean for us? And if you're in the 10%, go for it. Congratulations. (laughs) Congratulations. Go for it. But so let's just say one of you is initiating and one of you is receptive. That's by far the biggest pattern. Um, not the only, because you could have receptive, receptive, right. and there's there's this other thread of people who have what's called resistant desire, and sometimes that comes from having been sexually hurt in the past, or there's you know there could yeah. be other reasons behind that, but most of the time it's initiating receptive one person, and so the <laughs> the key is for both people to realize that the receptive person needs to be approached differently. So if you're the initiating person, the receptive person needs to be approached differently. And if you are the receptive person, realizing that you have to do something to be thinking about it, because you're not going to be thinking about it otherwise. And so both of you, if you want to have a great intimate life, both of you have to be thinking about it in this way. And so we always tell the initiating person, (laughs) for example, in many cases, now this is not all, right? It's this is a conversation for you to have with your spouse. Yeah. But in many cases, literally, the receptive person just needs like anticipation time <laughs> because, like, your husband. Yeah. He's outside doing some DIY project <laughs> in the garage, and you're like getting ready for bed, and you've got something else on your mind, and he's wondering whether he has time to run to Home Depot. To get the other kind of screwball. cameras in my house. <laughs> yeah. No, he's not yeah. thinking about it, right? Like, and if you're, if, if somebody listening to this, you know, you're the receptive spouse and you, or, or you're the initiating spouse and you're the guy, I should say, and your wife is receptive, you know, there could be a bunch of things on her mind and you've tried to be sweet and kind and helpful and you've tried to do the chores because you've heard, well, maybe she'll be more interested if I do the chores. Realize all that stuff is great. Yes. But if that person is receptive desire, they're just not thinking about it. The way their brains are wired. The way their brains are wired. And you have to be okay <laughs> with the fact that in many cases, again, not all, but in many cases, that that person needs something to wake their brain up to it ahead of time. Yes. So you're like flirting with your husband about, well, you know, when you get back from Home Depot. Dude, we do that on accident. But now that you're saying that, that is so effective for us. Yes. Just dropping a line. A little flirt. in the day. A little little flirt. flirt. Exactly. Yeah. And and that is, it is so (laughs) crucial because that takes it out of. Well, I've done all these chores and I still didn't get lucky tonight. Right. Or like I'm working out and this lingerie is really cute. Yeah. What is wrong with you? Like, yeah. And so, and that, so just be aware 
that if you're the initiating person, that is often, not always, but often, something that you kind of just have to be okay with. Like that you feel like, well, but they should just want me. No, you're saying should because you've believed a Hollywood myth that doesn't apply to 90% of couples. Amen. So you have to take the should out of your mind. That is not the way God has created us. That's the way Hollywood has created us. And it causes so many heartache to think, well, they should just want me. And they will want you. And they do want you. They do. They do. It's not that I can tell you, like, it's not that my husband is ambivalent about me. Yes, exactly. He is going to take it. He is a (laughs) red-blooded man. But you'd say it's just not. He's not thinking the way their brains work. It's not. It's not the way their or their bodies, the brains and their bodies, physiology, the way it's created. It's just for. And you know, we have the numbers. I could look it up if you want in the book of. You know, what percentage of men are initiating? What percentage of women are initiating? What percentage of men are receptive and women are receptive? Like for women, I think it's something like 70 something percent of women are receptive desire. Yeah. So, you know, that's like, that's a pretty big number. Yeah. But that means by definition, 27% are not. Yeah. And most of those are initiating. Some are resistant. And so, so, okay, so that's the person who is the initiating, what they want to do differently. So what about the person who's receptive? So the person who's receptive, one thing that they might want to do differently is recognizing, okay, this is important for me. This is important for my marriage. And, you know, this is not somebody who doesn't want to, that's a completely different relationship. We're not, we're not talking about abuse. We're not, we're not talking about a situation where somebody is like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. Because that's yeah. a very different thing. Very. And that, that's where you need that specialized help, right? Right. That's a completely different thing. But if it's literally just, I'm not thinking about it, then do something to make you think about it. And that's a key for that model, that type of person. And it can be anything from scheduling it. And now you can both jointly schedule it. Like whenever else you decide to connect, you're always going to connect on Wednesday nights because the kids are at VBS or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You can jointly schedule it. But you as the receptive person, you can kind of keep track and go, you know, it's been a few days and I know that this really matters to my spouse and it matters to me. And so I'm going to actually initiate. Yeah. Even though I'm not feeling that Hollywood surge of desire, I'm going to choose to because it it makes my spouse so happy and I know I'll I'll be happy in a couple of minutes that we're doing this. Yeah. And so that being kind of aware of that right there solves a bunch of problems. Another thing that sort of it also crosses the line into the second thing we were going to talk about, which is the desire levels. Yeah. Okay. The second thing is that actually, because there's a high correlation between someone who's resistant and someone who's a lower desire in the relationship. Right. Not surprisingly. Yeah. Sometimes it's the other way around. You can be receptive and have the higher desire. But for the person who also has the, like maybe the lower desire, one of the things that has, that was a huge aha moment for me personally, because I'm the one with the receptive Mm -hmm. desire in our relationship 
one of the things that I hadn't quite realized is that apparently, and I know I'm going to mangle this, this is like a neuroscientific principle that a neurobiologist could explain to you a lot better than I can. So I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to not mangle this. Yes. If there's anyone listening to this who's a neurobiologist, I apologize in advance. <laughs> so, but, but basically, one of the truths out there is that sexual activity stimulates sexual desire. Mm-hmm. And so if you are not you know, thinking about it, and so you have sex less, the sexual chemicals in your body are at a lower level, which means you have even less desire, so you have sex less which means those chemicals go even lower. Right. And it's the reverse as well. Like if you're, you may not necessarily be always thinking about it or feeling that surge of desire, but if you decide to have sex, it stimulates the sexual chemicals. It makes it more likely that that desire is stirred up and up and up and it has that positive thing. And so one of the principles that does work in some marriages, and it's not for everybody, but it, one of the principles is that if you want to have a, a bit higher level of desire is have sex. Yeah. And there has been some discussion amongst different experts, whatever, that there's sort of, there may be a threshold mm. of about once a week where if you get into the pattern of having sex less than once a week, especially significantly less, your desire levels are going to just keep going down. But at more than once a week, it tends to be a little more self-sustaining. Yeah. So that's another piece of the puzzle that a receptive desire can think about. Yeah. It really comes, sounds like it comes down to intentionality on both parts. Yeah. Acknowledging. And I think sometimes I love that you're bringing up the Hollywood angle because we have let <laughs> that infiltrate our beliefs so heavily. We think we should want it all the time can't keep our hands off of it. And there are some people who do. And there's that's great. And I love that for you. I love that for you. (laughs) But it's not that that is wrong either. It's just that we've made that the standard. Right. That that should be the way it works. And if it doesn't, somebody's broken. Right. And that's not at all the case. Really interestingly, we found that another piece of the you know, not just desire types, but desire levels conversation, we actually found that regardless of desire type, that most of the time, when you ask a husband and wife, how much do you want? How, you know, if you, if you could, you know, all things being equal, you know, how often would you like to connect in this way? And you hear like Mike says, for example, in his office, in his therapy office, our co-author, that he asks this pretty frequently and they come in, the husband and wife come into the office, obviously at odds, like that's why they're in sex therapy. And he turns to the husband and says, how often would you like to connect? And the husband says, you know, maybe two to three times a week and turns to the wife, how often would you like to connect? And she says, I don't know, one to two times a week. And he says, there's not much difference between two and two, right? right? <laughs> yeah. And, And then how often do you, and this, by the way, is a good conversation for anyone listening to this to have with their spouse. How often do you connect? And they say, well, maybe two or three times a month. And so then the, in this case, the stereotypically, the husband turns to the wife and says, basically, neither of us is having as much connection as we want. Right. Why aren't we 
having more sex. And it's interesting because as a therapist, Mike always says that is the right question. Because until you get there, what you're asking is, why aren't you? Right. And instead, it's like, wait, we probably both want more. Why aren't we? And it's like, well, because you always go to Home Depot at 10. (laughs) And by the time you get back, I'm asleep. Yeah. Like, okay, so what do we do to change the the pattern or whatever it is, right? I'm picking on your husband. We think our sex life is supposed to be so organic and just happen. And there's no other part of a relationship that you treat that way. No. Do you treat your budget that way? Do you treat your schedule that way? Do you treat your spiritual life in like a, oh, it'll just figure itself out. (laughs) And I get it that these conversations can be uncomfortable. If you're not comfortable talking about sex and sexuality, if that has stayed taboo for you, the two of us talking about this and saying, this is a conversation that you can have. There are probably some women listening like, I don't want to. I don't want to have this conversation. (laughs) Well, (laughs) and can I just tell you, I would have been one of those people. Like literally, we've had to talk about this topic from the stage multiple times for 20 years. You know, Jeff and I do marriage events and marriage conferences and, you know, we do stuff at churches and, you know, whatever. And we'll be on stage talking about, you know, so-and-so and and how they feel about sex. (laughs) The voice drops. Can I say that word? And so we would have absolutely been in that category. And one of the things that we realized relatively early on, and this is our encouragement to everybody listening to this who feels uncomfortable and is breaking out in hives at the idea of talking about it. The reason you're breaking out in hives is that you're thinking about talking about the wrong things. You're you're thinking about talking about techniques and body parts and expectations that I should lose 30 pounds. Like, you know, like that's what makes us break out in hives. Instead, what I realized is when we're having this tension or heartache or not connecting around sex, it's not about the sex. It's again, it is not about the technical stuff at the beginning. Now that technical stuff may be there. Yeah. Again, the impact of medication or ED, or you're getting older and you're in menopause or whatever. Okay. So that stuff may be there, but that is not necessarily what you have to talk about. What you have to talk about is like, what are some of those feelings that are under the surface? Are you initiating? Are you receptive? Oh my goodness. Well, what what can we do differently to honor both of us? Right. When you start, and that's just one example, right? Like that was one of the eight surprises. Right. Exactly. I was about to say, make sure like this is just one. And so the thing that is so life-giving, it is com- it completely radically changes it. Once you start talking about that stuff, you're like, oh, this is so simple. Like, because this is intimacy. This is closeness. This is like, like one of the eight surprises is digging into the fact that there are these insecurities that we have inside that we don't necessarily articulate, or we certainly don't, our spouse doesn't articulate, like we don't know. And so being able to like, go through, for example, a chapter in the book and read it out loud, or maybe just read it separately and mark up what applies to you and go, wait, like, really? Like, you think you don't 
like this is classic for a husband and a wife where the wife statistically on our survey most of the women are like i'm assuming he is kind of disappointed when he sees me naked oh like i'm insecure about my body and most of the husbands are like no i was happy to be here (laughs) but that's a perfect example that'll hold you back from each other and for the husband to go, oh my gosh, no, you are so beautiful to me. And we don't have to turn on the lights. I just, but I want you to know, yeah. this is how I, you got to trust me. Like, this is how I view you. Yeah. And that, oh my gosh, how much more intimacy and closeness comes from that. And you just didn't even know to talk about it before yeah. because you're thinking it's about technique and body parts, right? Exactly. I mean, and I know I keep bringing back it back to like the Hollywood standard, but even that, like all of this links back yeah. to something you saw in a movie that's not real life. You know, women have babies and then women's bodies look different after they have babies. They or do. We, they, we just, yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like all yes. of that is okay. And all of that is like the very normal human experience. Have you ever seen in a Hollywood movie a woman with the belly fat that comes from having had, you know, three kids. And a C-section. And the C-section. I'm like, I have a line. I had a C-section and I have a line. And the belly goes over the line because physiologically it just will. Yep. (laughs) So you never see that. But that's, again, that's the vast majority. And the Really cool thing is, is that statistically, the men on the survey, remember, this is anonymous and nationally representative, okay? They were very honest. And the men on the survey are like, no, I want to see you that way. Yeah. Like, it's not like, well, I'd like to see you and I can put up with that. No. Yeah. They actively enjoy that. And if a wife can hear that and believe it, oh. That makes yeah. Sense. Yeah. There's something about he- you can hear it from your husband and then like look at the book and see the data. <laughs> <laughs> like he's not lying to me. Not lying. <laughs> it's in a book. So it's true. <laughs> I think I, I, I have to look it up. Now you're making me want to look this up. I think if I'm remembering correctly, when we asked again, because they were being honest, it was something like when we said, you know, I don't, I actively don't want to see that stuff. Like it turns me off. Yeah. It was something like, Less than 2%. It was like this tiny number. Yeah. Yeah. And there's probably something else at play there, maybe. And there probably is. Like, one of the things that we found is that there are correlations between some of these things and somebody who has trauma. Exactly. But that's the good news. You deal with that. You know, that's that step two stuff. Right. When When you do deal with that, then you start the cycle over again. Yeah. It's so encouraging. It is. Is not rocket science. It's not. And, but even if it is confusing or intimidating for people, I can say as someone who has read your book that it makes sense. I haven't read Secrets of Sex and Marriage because it's not out yet, but uh, having read for women only and having learned from you, I'm really excited. I'm going to get it because I'm really excited about it. Well, hopefully by the time people are listening to this, they can go purchase it. Yes. By the time this comes out, it's out. It comes out on this. It comes out in five days. Congratulations. Yes. Thanks. So definitely get this wherever you get your books. Where can people keep up with you online? So there's two ways 
that will help be, I think be helpful for people to know. Just for me and my books in general, it's shanti.com, which is my first name. So S-H-A-U-N-T-I.com. For this particular resource, we actually are in the process of building and adding to a pretty robust website with a lot of resources for people. And it's just secretsofsexandmarriage.com. Okay. And we're super excited about it because, again, writing this book with a renowned sex therapist has opened up a whole lot of other options for the step two, right? Like, so the people who are like, but what do I do if I have resistant desire? Or what do I do if I'm dealing with one of these issues? Like, we have, I have pain. Yeah. You know, my spouse has an issue with pornography or whatever, like, you know, medical, blah, blah, blah. All of those, we actually on the website have referral resources Wow! to help people get that specialized help. Yeah, that's amazing. We'll link to that in the show description as well. So people oh, good. Yeah. use that resource. Thank you so much. This was such a great conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. And, and I'm grateful that you want to talk about this with your people. And I hope your people will enjoy talking about it with their spouses now. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right, see you next week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 